Thanks for checking out the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news because it really applies to our real lives. We're well aware that we all need Jesus, and so we don't shame each other, we help each other. And we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. Welcome to Oak Point Church, West Bloomfield. How is everybody this morning? All right, all right. Good to see you. Uh, If you're new here, welcome. We love visitors. So please check out our welcome table at the end of service. They will give you some information about our church, show you what we're all about here at Oak Point West Bloomfield. My name is Joe Seastan, the lead pastor here. And you came at a good time. We're in a series in the book of Romans. We're calling that series Forgiven. And the reason why we're calling it Forgiven is because if you look at the entire arc of this really dense theological book, um, the, the biggest theme that you pull out of it is that We have been forgiven for those who are in Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord, that he's like number one, that you rely on him, you call on him, you obey him, he's the Lord of your life, you have been forgiven of your sins. This distance that we have created between us and a holy God that has been taken care of at the cross of Christ. He paid all of that for you and you are made righteous here I am, uh, in, his, uh, in his site. Last week we went through why it's important to manage your convictions in the faith. We looked at the first part of chapter 14, and here's the reality is that there are essential beliefs, things that we should all believe in, and we went through those last week. If you want to know where they're at, uh, go to our website, oakpoint.org slash westbloomfield. You'll see those core beliefs, the things that we ought to all agree on, But then there's the non-essentials, the things that there's liberty of opinion. And we're not going to divide over those things. We're not going to get in fights and quarrels and and throw slander at one another because of the non-essentials, the things that are important to have convictions around, but your convictions in the faith might be slightly different than somebody else's convictions in the faith in this same room. And and so it's important to manage those convictions of the faith, realizing that it's good to have them and how you go about working with other people in relationship matters. And we want to be careful about how we manage those convictions of the faith. This week, we're going to start off with a claim. And the claim is this, it's all things are lawful. And that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter um, chapter 10, verse 23. It's this reality. That because Jesus died on the cross, offering up his perfect life for our imperfect, sinful lives, and because he took on that payment of our sin, and then he rose back to life on the third day, declaring that death no longer has mastery over us, we have been given freedom in Christ. That's what it talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So therefore, the application for all of us is that we are um, free in Christ and all things are lawful. In fact, there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament, the law of Moses. You know, you have the Ten Commandments and 603 other ones. And those would have to be adhered to perfectly um, to follow God appropriately. But once Jesus came and and he had his mission to 
um, saved people from their sins, went to the cross, rose back to life, he just gave us this commandment to love our Lord God with everything we've got and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So all things, as long as we're doing that, are lawful. You are legitimately allowed to do um, things that, that people weren't allowed to do uh, before Jesus came and fulfilled the law. But here's the other part of that verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Not all things are helpful. And it goes on to say, not all things build up. There's a great reality in our faith that we have freedom. And that is like very unique. If you look at any other worldview, any other religion, there's going to be serious strings attached of what you are allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. We as believers, we're free. But it might not be the right thing to express your freedoms all the time. Let me give you an example. This is not a Christian example. It was far before I was a Christian. I was 18 years old. And lawfully, I was allowed to take a trip uh, with my friends on a week that we had off of school called Spring Break and go to Myrtle Beach and stay at a hotel uh, there for a week. Legally, I was allowed to do that. <laughs> Wasn't all that helpful, though. I mean, it, it was, it's, it's, it's a wonder that I didn't end up breaking the law and get caught and go to jail for that week. It was just like not a good idea, not a helpful thing to do. And that's the great reality in the faith is that it might be good for us to follow some of those 613 commandments from the law of Moses. Even though we're not legally bound to them, it might be a really good thing for us to actually do some of those things. So today, as we get into the rest of Romans chapter 14, finish that out this week, I want to show you a few different scenarios of when it's good to restrain your actions despite your freedoms. We're going to look at a few of those situations of when that would be a good thing to do. Here's the first one. Restrain your actions when they could cause a temptation for somebody else. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 13, says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So here's the great reality, is that it is kosher, it is right with God, it is clean to be able to have freedom of what a person wants to, in this case, eat or not eat. And remember, the context is really important. We keep going through this every week. Paul, the apostle, writing this letter to a Roman audience. The the audience is primarily Jewish Christians And back in the law of Moses, a whole bunch of those laws had things to do with what you put into your body, what things you ate and what things you didn't eat. But here's the deal. It says in verse 20 this, it says, do not for the sake of food destroy, oh sorry, Um, I'm going to read also verses 20 and 21. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God and everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat 
or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So same type of idea. In verse 20, it did say here, everything is indeed clean. And, And here's the translation. The argument is not whether or not it's okay as a Christian to eat whatever meat that you want to eat, which was the context back then 2,000 years ago. That actually is not the argument on the table. This is the argument. It says, it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So the question is this instead. Even though God permits you to have freedom to do many, many things in your freedom in Christ, he doesn't command you to, to take action on every single one of those freedoms at all times. You've got to know your audience. You've got to understand like, what your role is right now as it relates to another human being. And this is just like a, 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 maybe a gut check right now. Like, um, there's a lot of periods of my life where I felt like the whole world kind of revolved around me. Like, if I want to do something, we're all good, you know? But here's the reality. Like, there's other people around you that are influenced by you in the, what, the things that you do and the things that you don't do. They're watching, and they could actually stumble as a result of what you are doing or what you are not doing. So we've got to, like, do a self-check. Do I care enough about other people to actually think about the things I'm doing and whether I should put restraint on those things even though I'm allowed to do those things in Christ. In verse 13, it tells us how to do that. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This verse is a little play on words. It's, it's the same Greek word, krino, used for judgment and decide. And it's kind of like, it, it turns it around. It says, don't place judgment on your brother or sister. Place judgment on yourself. It's very compatible with what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. I'm going to read that to you. It says this, Judge not that you will not be judged. That, that same word, krino, is used there by Jesus. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your, your brother's eye. Jesus said it best. He's like, hey, stop looking at the speck in somebody else. Look at the two-by-four coming out of your eye. You know, deal with yourself first. Use that action of crino to judge yourself first. So what does that have to do with restraining your actions and how that pertains to a temptation? Well, here's the deal. If we are doing something that is possibly going to cause one of our brothers or sisters to stumble, then we are encouraged to lay that thing down. And let me give you an example. I've been a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ for 13 years. Actually, when Easter Eve comes in a couple of weeks, that will be my 13-year anniversary when I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. 
snotty tears, you know, surrendered my life, prayed to receive Christ, like the whole thing. Well, at that point in my life, um, I was an alcoholic. I was not like a raging drunk, but I depended on alcohol to help me cope with life and all the hardships. Like, I didn't know a different way. And I also believed that there's no possible way that a person would be able to have fun without a beer in their hands. That, that was just my mantra. That, that, was my, that was the way that I lived my life. So when I accepted Jesus as Lord, one of the things that the Lord showed me and one of the things that God helped me with is to lay down drinking. I haven't had a sip of alcohol in 13 years, and I don't intend to ever have a sip of alcohol again. Now, I want to be very clear. The Bible doesn't say that you can't drink. And as a Christian, I would have been lawful to be able to have a a drink. It just says that you can't get drunk. And so I stopped drinking in those first, that first year or so, there were, I would have had a real hard time going into a bar, being around people who are drinking, having alcohol in my house. So my lovely wife, Renee, knowing that, even though she had every right to have an occasional glass of wine, which is all that she, she didn't have any type of issue like I did, she chose at that time to also lay aside her alcohol. Like there was no alcohol at all in the house. Why did she do that? Well, because she knew that if, if there was alcohol in the house, that she, even though she had every freedom to express that, that it would possibly cause her husband to be in temptation. And she did not want to let that happen. So it's all things are lawful, but we want to practice restraint when what we are doing could cause a temptation for somebody else. And so think about the people in your family. Think about your neighbors. Think about the people in this church. If there is something that you're doing, that even though you're okay to do that thing, if it's causing them to possibly have temptation, we are called then to lay them down. And the reason is that we look to Jesus Christ as our example. Verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, um, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Look, that brother or sister here in the fellowship in the body of Christ, they're as much a believer as you are. Jesus went to the cross as much for them as he did for you. And Jesus is our example of how he, the suffering servant, laid down his prerogatives, his priorities, the things that, whatever he wanted, he laid those down for the sake of other people. And so we look to him, we restrain our actions when they could cause a temptation. Here's another example, another scenario of when it might be good for you to think about laying down and restraining your actions. Restrain your actions when they could hurt your witness. Verse 16 says this. So do not let the one... Let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are called, in verse 16 it says, that we are called to elevate the discussion, 
It says that don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And then it goes on to say the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's my translation of that for us. There's so many other things that people can come at us for, especially as Christians. Your character, there's so many things that people can come at us for. Why are we having silly debates about things that have to do with, in, our, in this case, eating and drinking? Let's just say, why are we getting into silly debates about politics? Like, whenever there's that group chat on my family that talks about politics, every once in a while, and I, I never say anything, every once in a while I just, like, I, I say, hey, let's talk about Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just, like, up it. Like, we're going to divide on this stuff. Let's just divide on Jesus. Let's bring it up a notch, you know, like. They ask, why don't I get involved in these debates? It's like, because I'm just waiting for like the real discussion. Let's get into that one instead. (laughs) Look, we want people to experience what we experience, which is having a dose of the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's joy. And that's peace in the Holy Spirit. We want people to know us for that, not for this other stuff. My neighbor uh, right behind us, you guys do this thing with your neighbors where, like, you'll both be out there, and, like, you've got the yard, and, like, like especially, I'm a stereotype a little bit, men, especially men who mow their lawns, you know down to, like, the nearest, like, three inches exactly the line of where your lawn ends and the next one begins. You guys with me on that? Like, you, like, the tread of the lawnmower, like, perfectly hits, like, the edge of your boundary line. If you're, if you're feeling a little, you know, it, like, like, you want to stretch it out a little bit, you might go, like, an extra couple inches and be like, yeah, that's my lawn right there. But you know it's not. So, but you, you keep, keep there, you know, keep it plowed. So I was mowing my lawn in the backyard. My neighbor was mowing his lawn in the backyard. He's, he, he's got a big lawn back there. He's, like, very good at mowing it. He's out there huffing and puffing. Well, he saw me mowing my lawn, and he wanted to, like, talk with me for a second. So he turns off his lawnmower, turned off mine. We did that thing where, like, here's the line. Like, my, my feet are, like, exactly two feet from the line, and his feet are exactly two feet. So we're not too close, but we have equidistance between the lines. So we're like this. Um, you guys know how that goes. So sometimes it's a fence. Sometimes it's just, like, this imaginary line. We're on the imaginary line. So we're talking, and um, I, I'm quite positive that he's not a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, he's told me before, like, hey, know your pastor. I don't, I don't do the church thing, you know. So that was, like, translation for me. Probably not a follower of God, but I'm not going to judge. You know, like, that's his own thing. So he, he's talking to me. He's like, hey, you being a pastor, don't you think it looks a little bad having a Mercedes Benz in your, in your driveway? I'm like, dang. And I wanted to share with him a lot of truthful things about the reality that my family and I drove a Mercedes-Benz. I wanted to share with him that when our family went from six people to eight people and we outgrew the minivan and we needed to have a larger vehicle, the cheapest solution was a worn-down Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van. That was like the cheapest solution. Like I would have paid triple to get anywhere new like an American car. Like I needed to get that. And this thing was like, I wanted to tell him things like, dude, if you like walked into that car, 
<laughs> if you took a whiff in that car, <laughs> if you like saw the panels off that car, if you saw the writing, if you saw how the ceiling leaked water every time it rains, like you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. Like I wanted to say all those things. This thing is like super industrial vehicle, no bells and whistles. But what I said to him as I was like, thank you for sharing what you did. Look, uh, that was the cheapest option that we had when we, when we grew our family. I wouldn't want the car I drive to impact what you think of me as a pastor or anybody else. You know, he was, he's, he was apologetic there at that point. I wasn't coming at him or anything like that, but he was, he was like, oh, no, I just think it was something that you probably should have considered. Now, <laughs> application, other than the fact that our Sprinter van got totaled this winter and now we drive a Ford, okay? <laughs> other than that, application is this. I don't want my neighbor having the only thing he wants to talk with me about is the car I drive. I don't want that. I want to talk about Jesus. Like, I want to get into conversations where it really matters. I don't want my car to be somehow some sort of hindrance between a conversation between me and him, because here's the reality, is that somebody's perception of you is reality for them. It doesn't matter what I say. It's his reality, and it's their reality. You can't change what somebody thinks of you. So why not, as Christians, do things where we are constantly trying to elevate the conversation, and let's not have something hurt our witness, because we want people to like feel the presence of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like emanating from our pores, we want people to know us for that. And if we're going to divide, let's divide on that. Let's not divide about what car we drive. And I learned a lot there. And it's just an ongoing type of thing. Other people's perceptions matter. So here's what we ought to do with that reality. We may want to rethink some of the freedoms that we take advantage of in the gospel and think about those things that we do, the things we say, the things we have, and how that that might impact our witness with other people. Let me give you a few examples. Anybody else race through the grocery store like, like they're on fire trying to get groceries? That is kind of like the way I do things. I wonder sometimes what people think of me. When I'm cutting off somebody to get in the self-checkout line because I want to beat them there, I wonder, like, if I had Oak Point West Bloomfield shirt on, <laughs> are they going to ever come here? Like, is that hurting my witness? And the answer is probably Yes. So I need to slow down a little bit. Road rage. You know, people who are cutting people off. Like, if you've got one of those, by the way, go visit our West Bloomfield, uh, uh, Oak Point West Bloomfield welcome table and grab a bumper sticker, but don't put it on your car if you're going to drive like a crazy animal out there. Like, that hurts our witness. We don't want people seeing what we're doing and wondering, like, who is this berserk person? And then find out that, like, you're a pastor at this church. Not good. Um, also, like, when you're talking on the phone, especially your spouse, like, throw an I love you in there. Like, don't just hang up the phone so abruptly. Like, people are watching your, your witness. Or things like, I mentioned politics earlier. Like, do you really want to die and, and face Jesus Christ and find out that when you're talking with him, look, you're free in Christ and you won't be held guilty of these things. Jesus paid it all on the, on the cross for you if you're in him, in him, you've trusted him. But do you want the conversation to be like, why'd you spend so much time talking about politics? 
is that really what the witness is that you're hoping for someday when you get before him? So just maybe rethink the freedoms that you have, the things that you do, what you say, even how you're thinking, and maybe figure out what things might be getting in the way of my witness and hurting my witness. Okay, so we're looking at a few scenarios today of times when you may want to restrain your actions, even though you have freedom in Christ. We looked at anything that could cause a temptation to somebody else. We looked at anything that could hurt your witness, and here's one more. Restrain your actions when they don't proceed from faith. And this is purely on us. Verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. And this is a key verse, this next one. You might want to underline it if you're that type of person, which I am in my Bible. For whatever does not proceed from faith, it's sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The awesomest part, I think, about being a Christian here in this side of eternity, in our application of being a Christian, is that we have freedom in Christ. It's like so cool that you can love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and if you're doing those things, you have like all this freedom to do what God wants you to do. And, and, and you, you can compare that to like any other world system. They're going to have like a code of exactly what you're supposed to do, but not as believers. As believers, we have, instead of, we, instead of a code of like a bunch of rules, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have the Word of God, the Bible, as our instruction manual, with a whole bunch of times, a whole bunch of opportunities in life where you can choose what to do based on what the Holy Spirit is showing you to do. So what it says here is that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the context here back 2,000 years ago when Paul's writing to these folks is that the reality is that any food was clean to eat. Like you could eat it. But because these Jewish Christians, so much of their background was like the food laws and the holidays and things like that, Paul is saying if one brother or sister wants to not eat those foods, if another one thinks it's okay, let them do what they want. Like you don't have to restrict that and things like that. But then the flip side of that is true too. So don't judge them. The flip side, hey, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you should or should not do something, follow and obey the Holy Spirit and proceed in faith. If you don't proceed in faith, It's actually sin. If the Holy Spirit is pressing something on your heart to do something in this life, friend, and you don't do that, you are actually sinning against God. Let me give you one more example. I've shared this story before, but I think it's it's worth bringing back up. When I knew, like I was growing very convicted that the Holy Spirit was leading us from Austin, Texas, back to my hometown here in West Bloomfield to plant a church. This is like six years ago is when I received that calling. Like I can't can't explain it other than I was reading the Bible. I was reading Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3, 
one quiet morning while we were back here during a summer vacation. And based on the words that were coming up in Ezekiel and, and in my interaction with the Holy Spirit at the time, I was like, wow, I wonder if God is calling me to, to plant a church in West Bloomfield, my hometown, among a people who I understand. That's what it says in those verses. A language that is familiar to you. That's what it says in those verses. God says, I'll speak my words with you. And at that point, that mattered because it's like, look, I'm, I'm seminary trained, but I came to faith late in life. I lived a whole bunch of junky life um, before, like faithfully junky life, before, <laughs> before coming to faith at age 33. That's like, I, I had this thing about I'm not, I'm not this scholar. Like, I'm not like this theologian that like has been doing this stuff since they're 16 years old. And so I needed God. But it says there in those verses, he'll speak his words with you. So that gave me like a relief. Like, oh God, are you showing me like, I'll go back to West Bloomfield and we'll plant this church and I don't have to be some, some top-notch theologian. Like, you'll just speak your words with me. And it says that I'll make you a watchman, which metaphorically in the Old Testament meant somebody, a prophet, who would, who would look out for sin and warn the people, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. So I felt like God was pushing that on me, pressing that into me through the Holy Spirit six years ago. We spent nine months not making a single move. We were praying about it, my wife and I. We were adopting two older boys from Africa. A whole lot of life going on. We were in ministry. I was a pastor in Austin, Texas, we loved Austin. We would have stayed there forever. But there came a point in time where my lovely wife knew that God was pushing this into my heart, that he wanted us to proceed in faith. And she said, look, I can tell this is real. It's not what I would have chosen, but I will follow you because I want to do what is the faithful Thing to do. Renee made a decision. I made a decision to uproot our whole family, the whole deal. The Sprinter van, like filling that thing up <laughs> with kids and stuff. We came back here because we knew if we didn't, it would be sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Maybe there's something like that going on in your life right now. It doesn't have to be a, a big move across the country. But if God is pressing something into your heart, something for you to start doing or stop doing, and you have freedom in Christ either way, but it's, it's hitting your conscience, it's hitting your heart, it's making you, uh, you know, grieve like we saw in Nehemiah when he heard about the people in Israel who, who were there with the wall torn down and said that he wept. Is there something that is making you weep? a ministry that, that the Holy Spirit is, is fanning this flame and you know that you're supposed to do it. It says that if you don't proceed with faith, that it's sin. I want to invite the band to come back up. And I want to invite for the communion to start getting passed out right now and our prayer partners to go to their spots. I know there's people in this church who are going through a lot of stuff right now. I know that there's people here that are hurting. And I just want to invite you in this time during this last song as we get ready to play one more song, I want to invite you to come up and receive prayer. Either here or here, come up and just lay a burden down at the feet of somebody standing at these prayer banners and pray with them for whatever is going on. The bottom line of all this today is that the spiritually mature Christian considers and encourages another person's faith journey. 
If you want to be a spiritually mature follower of Christ, a fully formed follower, then it's more than just our relationship with God. It also involves other people. How can you build other people up, friends? How can, what are the things that you can lay down? What are the things that you can do to help somebody out on this faith journey? Perhaps you're here today and you're still not settled, you're not decided on the whole Jesus thing. That you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus before. That you've never begun that faith journey. I want to tell you that I'm glad that you're here. And is God inviting you on a faith journey with him through Jesus right now? And if he is, I want to pray with you in a minute. And I want to give you this amazing reality. Look, Jesus, the perfect one, the one who didn't sin at all, Jesus lived that perfect life and then he obediently went to the cross. He went there, why? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Yeah, it was at the hands of his accusers, but Jesus could have snapped his fingers and a legion of angels would have rescued him from his outcome at any time. Jesus obediently laid down his life, why? To get you. The only thing that Jesus didn't have before the, before the cross was you. Jesus died on that cross so that whoever trusts in him, your sins have been absolutely forgiven. That distance that we've caused between us and God, it's been fixed at the cross. And then Jesus rose back to life on the third day. Jesus rose back to life and he defeated death. He defeated evil and Jesus is returning. Are you on a faith journey with him? And if you're not, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is pressing on you something that you can't deny and you want to you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I will lead you in prayer in just a moment. For the rest of us who are Christians, here's the application. What freedom is God asking you to lay down for the sake of other people? Is there something going on right now in your life? Something that you're doing something that you're not doing that God wants you to change for the sake of somebody else. I just want to enter into a time of silence right now. I want to ask you to reflect on that relationship that you have with the Lord. If there's something that's causing distance, believer, unbeliever right now between you and him, confess that, which means in your own prayer right now, in your own silence, say that to the Lord. Say, I'm sorry doing this before we enter into a time of imitations and communion. Let's just take a moment. take communion, I want to I address those in the room that haven't ever settled it with God before. Communion is a chance for us to come together and remember all that Jesus did for us. Is there somebody in this room that needs to turn to Jesus as Lord for the first time and accept him? 
If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now so that I can pray with you? All right, the rest of us, for those who are Christians, as we celebrate communion, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us. So this is for believers. This is part of the family. If, this, if that's not you today, that's okay. Just let it pass by. What happened was that at the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And so as we eat this today, we remember how Jesus gave his very life, his body for us. And so we take it in remembrance and thanksgiving for him. When you're ready, go ahead and do that. And at the end of the meal, Jesus took the cup filled with wine and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenants for the forgiveness of sins. So as we take this, we remember how Jesus' final sacrifice on the cross, it was the only sacrifice needed to fulfill all that we had that was distancing us from God. And so we remember him by his blood shed on the cross. Would you stand up for prayer? As we think about the freedoms that we have in Christ, in the things that we do, that we are free to do, realizing though that there are people that are impacted by that, and so it might come time for us to restrain our actions. Is there somebody here today that has an action that they're doing that it would be good to lay down today to not cause temptation for another brother or sister? If that's you, raise your hand. I see you guys, I see you, yes, amen. How about somebody today that has an action they're doing that you're vulnerable to having the neighbor across the street call you out on it. It could be something that's hurting your witness, even the littlest bit. And maybe for you today, it's thinking about laying down, laying down that action so that it doesn't hurt your witness any longer. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yeah, several of us. See you guys. And finally, is there somebody here today that the Holy Spirit is just pressing something into your heart and you haven't taken action on that thing yet. And you know that every day that goes by and you're not proceeding in faith on that, it's actually sinning against God. And it's time to move. It's time to take action on that thing. If that's you, would you raise your hand? See you guys. See you. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are such a loving God, that you, Jesus, gave us freedoms in Christ on that cross. And yet, Lord, it's, it's good. There are 613 commandments in the Torah. So it'd probably be good for us to follow some of those. <laughs> probably be good for us to lay aside some of the actions that we're doing that while we're free to do them, it might not be helping other people. Help us to be a community of believers, Lord, who values other people so much that we would be willing to lay aside our freedoms even though you died on the cross to give us that opportunity. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.